stick my toes in I'm frozen, I know I'm God's chosen Internal explosion my toes in, I'm frozen, I know I'm God's chosen, internal explosion. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Benny J. And yo, yo, it's your boy, the melanated maverick in the building. Uh, and this is Internal Explosion, the podcast, special episode number five. I'm white, he's black. Praise and God. if you don't know, now, now you, you know. know. Period. So, <laughs> so today we want to get into some of the differences, some of the stereotypes yes. that Chris and I have encountered throughout our lives thus far. There have been quite a lot. As you can tell, I'm white. I've been called a cracker. I've been called a honky. And that's an old school term, hmm. but I've heard it. And uh, I've also been called Larry Bird because of the way I used to shoot over to the side of my head which I try not to do anymore and somehow still end up hearing that nickname. Wow. And even though it's kind of flattering, it still hurts. <laughs> it. It's, it's, it cut deep. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we've endured as far as name calling goes. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris has told me in the past, he has never personally heard someone refer to him as the N-word. I myself have been referred to as the N-word about three times irony it is kind of funny so part of it is in my last name but regardless it's not for me hmm. so i don't use it i want to be respectful of the cultural vernacular here i want to make sure that i am being mindful of what these words mean and how they might impact someone else because there are historical roots to what those words have been used for to oppress and suppress a people. I don't want to be a part of that. But I do want to be able to have an open language and open discussion with all people, especially, I don't want to say especially, that ain't the right word, but definitely including my black brethren. Yeah, man. So, yo, I, th I think we should just crack it open because we, we got to address the elephant in the room. Of course, there's the 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 physical differences the color you know the the blackness and the whiteness yeah. but we we both realize that with that with the color comes a lot of expectations a lot of misconceptions i mean out of both of us right here and of course y'all we can't hear y'all answer but which one of us do you think went to a private school or likes watermelon <laughs> Or randomly brushes their hair to make sure their joint is uh, nice and nice and fresh. And uh, this guy just uses a hand. So, <laughs> so just saying. Even e even if we say that, nah, nah, we're past that. We're past color. We're past all that. As we start to think through what whiteness means, what blackness means, what color means, yes. it comes charged just mm -hmm. by nature. And so we're going to spend the next couple of minutes kind of talking through those things because I personally hate watermelon. Yo, and I personally love it. I just had a really, this is, this is a wild thought, but All it right. just hit me really hard. I was thinking about how there is this high dynamic range now on all the major TV lines, all the newest branded televisions. 
And high dynamic range or HDR is referring to how wide the contrast is between black and white, mm. true black wow. and true white. Wow. And I think it's cool because without that deep contrast, you wouldn't get the vibrant colors that you mm. can get off a of television. Mm. Think about that. Wow, dude. That vast array of coloration only happens through that deep contrast, contrast. which is a beautiful thought. So what's different from the television and that variety of coloration there, the availability of deep blacks and, and, and bright whites, and the way that we interact together and sense and perceive one another as really important parts of this bigger picture. And I, dare I say the rainbow <laughs> of coloration of people. There's so much to that. But without deep blacks, how would you appreciate the bright whites sure. and vice versa? Sure. I don't know. It just hit me. So I just threw it out there. Wow, man. No, that, that was deep. That was deep. But, you know, if I can take that one step further, it means that we have to go beyond the the surface level. You know, we have mm. to have a conversation. We have to, you know, like both of us are doing, we, we do life together, you know, not just for this this podcast, but, you know, we just do life. And so I know you deeper than your, your color. Yes. I'm not going to say I don't see color because, of course, I see differences. You'd be um, senseless. <laughs> Right. Not to see color or colorblind, literally. Yeah. Neither of which are true. So let's just talk reality. Let's not get into something that is seemingly delusional. And let's admit that we both can see color. Yeah. Which is completely fine. Definitely. Because within it's actually that, cool. It's because we, we have to acknowledge our, our experiences and that's how we can grow deep. And that's why we can have these these conversations yeah. about, you know, our color, um, our, our experiences. Yep. Um, so, which are both very American, by the way. Thank, thank you for the context, though. That, that's that's important. It is like we're not. I'm not a white dude from Europe, right? From Russia, right. from Australia. <laughs> I'm not from or from Great Britain. I'm not from any of these places. I am an American boy. Thanks, Estelle. <laughs> American Ooh, boy. Good cultural reference. I mm. love it. And Chris is also Americano. Yes, I am American. United States American, yes. to be clear. There we go. Pennsylvanian. Right. <laughs> From the Illadelph. Yes. Currently living in the suburbs. Mm. Suburban nights. Unite. Yes. <laughs> but but let, let's let's get into the, the experience a little bit, because I think that is valuable. You know, and you know, we're gonna be a little transparent here. Um, so I was born in Philadelphia. I went to school in the suburbs. So I, I was born in the area of Philly where it was all black. But I went to a school that was like 98% white. And so to my to my white brothers and sisters, <laughs> I was the token dude, but I was loved. I was celebrated. Mm. I didn't think anything of it. Yes. But when I came home, it was, well, why do you talk like that? Mm. Or why don't you go to the neighborhood school? You know, I wasn't black enough. So for me, I, I was stuck in a world where I was in a white world with all the privilege and ev everything that we have a misconception about the white world being, yeah. but then coming home and almost being ridiculed for it, like I was diluted or something like that. That was the first time I recognized that this whole blackness, this whole humanity thing is complicated because we find ourselves in different different groups. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves, and especially growing up with kids, you know, kids kids can be terrible sometimes. Um, yeah. Being in a place sometimes. where we are still, 
<laughs> be, being ridiculed for for our experiences, and you know that that kind of has manifested today in the way I interact with different groups of people. I celebrate my diversity and yeah. my my diverse upbringing, but it definitely didn't start that way. And you know that's why I say tongue in cheek. I hate watermelon because if you look at me, you may say, "Hey." That brother over there has a fruit preference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watermelon is so good. It's so nasty, man. Especially Why? a sweet one. Oh, I, I prefer the seeds. I like no, the seeds. No, I Deeply prefer, seeded. I prefer nothing. Inner seeding. Mm. Inner seeding. <laughs> terrible. Like wow. praying on behalf of another. The yeah. inner seeding of a watermelon. Well, pray that watermelon goes away. You will Damn. never hear me pray that. Golly. Ever. But one thing that Chris and I can unite on without question is fried chicken. Because the people that don't like fried chicken, I, I, I don't even know what to say because I don't, it's just such a staple food, chicken itself. Yeah. And then you deep fry it with some Ooh. amazing, delicious breading Ooh. and seasoning. Seasoning. Come on. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's just it's just a no-brainer. Yeah. But you know what? To all you people who are anti-chicken folk. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you do what you do, but I guarantee you are definitely going against the grain. You might be considered a stain on the culture. <laughs> Terrible dude. So if we just lost a few subscribers, so be just it. Just a couple. Just a couple. Fried chicken. But we love y'all. Team fried chicken. Team fried chicken. So I go back to the, the idea of where we both went to school, mm -hmm. what school looked like for me. I went to a public school. And in that public school, it was mildly diverse when I was younger. So I went to school back from 1990 to 2003, to give you a little bit of timeline, context. And while I was in grade school, I found that it was pretty homogenous. It was pretty white. And it also had a funny name that had the word white in it, um, which is hilarious, just a little bit coincidental, I'll say. So what was really interesting about my experience growing up through this school was my interaction with white people became stale pretty quickly. I am a novelty seeker, 100%. It comes with a high level of impulsivity, so be it. I love new experiences. I love meeting new people. I love the different things that they represent and that they can show me that I can't find from just going uh, with one group to another group. Like I, liked, I like the individual deep conversations. They bring me joy and a lot of new understanding. So when, I'm, when I was hanging out in grade school, I remember especially high school, there was a black wall where the black folk chilled. Mm. There was a Syrian wall where the Syrian people chilled. I don't remember there being a white wall, although I would say the whole, the whole school was whitewashed. <laughs> so that's true. But I remember I felt the most at home around people of color, straight up. I, had, I, had a, I could be myself in a, in a more open and consistent way where I didn't feel judged. Mm. And that lack of judgment allowed me to just come out of my shell. Because when I was a kid, I was ashamed of who I was. I never felt... Like I could just be me. I felt like even my own family would say things to me that would make me feel like I was less than okay for them. I didn't fit the mold that they wanted me to fit. At least that's how I felt. 
Now, I don't know if they, they probably wouldn't say the same thing. They'd say, oh no, Benny was this and that and he was great and he, that's fine. I believe that and I'm sure they gave me what they had. But growing up like that, I felt like I was always the have not. I was mm. a part of the without club. And not having that deep support for my family, not feeling secure and connected to them, honestly caused me to feel really broken and disconnected in general. I had a very weak sense of attachment there, very insecure. So moving forward, I'd be hanging out with my black friends. I'd be hanging out with my... If I wanted to use person first language, if anybody's mm. offended, my friends who were black. I, I, I smile a little bit at that because the love in my heart doesn't change regardless sure. of how I say it. But to be reasonable for the sake of some, I'll say it that way. All of my friends who were of color, I had such a wonderful time hanging out with that I started talking a lot like they did. Mm -hmm. So I had that street language right. appeal going on. And every time that I would go hang out with some of the white kids that I'd be friends with, I remember them saying, Ben, why do you talk black? And I'd be like, uh, what do you mean? And they'd be like, and deep down, I kind of knew what they meant, but I didn't like that there was such a divide in those ideas of how we talk. And I thought to myself, well, what if I assimilated a bit to that way of speaking to that culture because it, it, it provided a space where I felt safer. So naturally, if I feel safer there, I'm going to start to adopt some other things about it too, like the language. How do they speak? I, and it's funny because depending on who you're talking to, it could be a white dude, black dude, Syrian dude, Asian dude, it doesn't matter wherever you're from. If you grew up in that setting, you're naturally going to gravitate toward the way that they speak and behave. It's just, it's just a conditioned response to that cultural pull. So when that happens, it's natural. But because people automatically want to stereotype people for the color of their skin, they say they state immediately, oh, well, you're white, so you must speak this way. You mm -hmm. must go to this type of school. You must be fill in the blank. That gets old quick. Because when you're truly just being yourself and people are essentially persecuting you for being who you are uh, based on the way that you were raised, based on the influences you had around you, all of a sudden now you're feeling ashamed of yourself if you weren't raised to have a really strong sense of confidence in who you are from the beginning. That's very hard to develop later. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to pass it back to Chris, but to end that thought, to sum it up, regardless of of what skin color you have, regardless of who your parents were, where you come from, it doesn't matter. You got to be true to who you are. And that might be a real, that might be a culmination of many things put together. All these things become who you are. It's not like you are just who you are right off the bat. You're born into this world as a fully developed human. The conditioning of society really does take deep root into who we become and who we spend time with will shape a lot of that, a lot of that character and a lot of those different pieces of, of how we think and how we behave. Oh, that's good. I like, I like how you talked about the, the building blocks into yeah. creating who we are as, as adults. Um, I think about my high school, which I rave about. I love my high school so much. It was, it was very diverse. Like every single 
ethnic group, racial group was represented at the school. And I can remember my, my freshman year and I, I, I was loving this little white girl, man. Yo, she was, she was like my, my universe and everything. <laughs> and I went through the Shorty lunchroom. Fine as- yeah, mm. man. <laughs> and I, I remember walking through the lunchroom and it was, the lunchroom was kind of segregated. I don't think it was by design. It's just, it just so happened to be. They say birds know. of a feather flock together. Yeah. Uh, there's something to that. There's something to that. And as I'm walking through, you know, my friends who were sitting at the table that was predominantly black called me over and they were like, what are you doing with that, that white girl? Mm-hmm. And that, that threw me off because that was, that was 96. That was 1996. You know, it, yeah, it was, it sounds like a while ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And for me, I was kind of stuck between two worlds. It's like, there's someone I have an attraction to, mm-hmm. and yet there are people that look at me look like me that are saying, like, why? why? Why are you doing that? You know, there there are many people pretty much saying, your kind is over here. Mm. You can you can talk to them. You can rap to them. You can engage. And even though that kind of blew over, their experience like that, you know, today, which would probably be categorized as microaggressions, there were a series of sure. those things in my life that manifested in high school, in college, in, in the work world. And it, it all goes back to what you were saying, that life, by the time you're an adult, it's a series of these experiences that have mm-hmm. been, for whatever reason, you know, mixed together. And then there comes a point where, at least for me, I had to think about who is the real Chris? Yeah. Is it is it the Chris that identifies as, you know, a black man, um, a Christian, mm-hmm. um, a, a city dude, a suburbanite? And so the question of identity, I had to answer that question because I found myself being swayed all over the place. It's like if this group thought something was cool, well, I wanted to do that. Or if this group says something was cool, I'd have to do that. But Mm -hmm. those two groups would be in contrast and you realize you have one foot in one world and another foot in another. And then there's a third group. Then you're like, well, I ran out of feet. And so you're trying to figure out where you fit in. And then you have to ask that existential question, who am I? And for me, it it happened my, my freshman year in college because there was one of my one of my best friends who's no longer with us, mm. you know, just hanging out with him, it, it forced me to realize who I am, you know, as a person. And so the person I am today is because of him. Mm. And he really forced me to answer the question of who I am. And once I answered that question, it reminds me of that uh, Ralph um, Ellison quote, when I find out who I am, I will be free. Mm. There is a lot of freedom in understanding that I'm a short black dude from Philly. You either take it or leave it. I'm not. I'm not going to be swayed. Yes, I don't like watermelon. Yes, I like. I like country music sometimes. Um, so I'm all. I'm. I'm this girl You're alone. There. I'm no, alone. I'm, I'm alone. But but I found that you know, it's about a human experience, and just because I have a darker complexion, doesn't influence what I eat, what I listen to, who I pray to. Sure. <laughs> where I work, it's like at the end of the day, I'm accountable to myself and my interactions, but definitely didn't start that way, yo. No, I feel that. 
No, I, uh, I was thinking about what I was saying earlier with the way that people perceived me when I would speak mm. black. Right. I thought that was a hilarious thing to say. Not funny. It wasn't genuinely funny, though. It was more odd. I thought, how do you speak black? Hmm. I mean, every black person I've ever met speaks differently. It just depends on the black person you're talking to. Right. And I, I think what people were really trying to say was, why do you talk like you're from the hood? Hmm. I think that's what they missed. It was more of a socioeconomic status thing than it had to do with race. It just so happened that the perception of that level of socioeconomic status, there's a stereotype that it's majority black, Latino, um, whoever else might fit in that demographic. But it's not, it, it's, it's such a poor stereotype in general because I knew a ton of white dudes who were poor, mm. including me. I grew up pretty impoverished. We didn't have a whole lot of money when we were little. My brother and I, uh, my mom and dad, my dad was working job to job until he finally landed a, a, a good paying job, you know, at least relatively good paying for where we lived um, and the needs of people in that particular demographic. So he got a full time job with good benefits and it really did change a lot for our family. But the funny thing is, even when you make money, if you have an impoverished mentality, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're poor permanently right. because it's a problem in your mind. And I can tell you, we had a lot of problems in our mind about feeling broken and poor. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no time where I felt secure because we had money. Because no matter how much money my parents made, we would always find ways to end up meeting that new level of, of the amount of money we were able to generate as a family. Uh, the lifestyle would increase just a touch every time there would be a raise. So it really just kept us impoverished for the entire time, even though, you know, year to year, my dad would be able to get a raise or my mom would be able to get a, a you know, a supplemental job or whatever it was. There was just always a lack of feeling rich mm -hmm. despite the money situation and where we lived uh, in reference to the wealthier people um, within our within our area. So I, I think about that and I think, well, where was the privilege in there that my dad could get a good, a decent job if he looked for one? Maybe. But I remember him coming home and telling me that there were many other people where he worked that weren't white. Mm -hmm. And they were making the same money and the same benefits. There was no disparity there. And I thought about that and I was like, okay, well, seems like we're all in the same boat down here. <laughs> Something to that. And I just developed a real appreciation for what it feels like to be without. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. We always had food. Granted, it was of the uh, government cheese level, <laughs> which most of the food that we eat from our uh, grocery stores tends to be, unless you shop in that raw section. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know Benny likes it raw. And I love steak. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I ate two ribeyes last night. I don't know if that's white privilege, but I'll tell you what, it tasted good. Amen. And I got the meat sweats. <laughs> and I literally smelled bad until last night. So if you were interested in my personal hygiene and those types of habits, now you know.
Thanks, dude. You're welcome. This is uh, no. I'm, I'm not charging for that stuff. <laughs> That's free of charge. So I think about all of these things, and I think about how a lot of the a lot of the appearance of disparity, the sense that maybe there was some kind of difference between my white peers, my white people, and my black counterparts. I look at that and I think, well, there really wasn't much difference as far as what we could make out in the economy. Mm -hmm. there, wasn't a, there wasn't a huge difference where we grew up. And I remember when I would go and hang out at my, my black friends' families' homes, I would feel like I could just chill. I felt like mm -hmm. a huge amount of guilt and weight would just drop off. And it, I'm not even playing. It was almost magical. And we would sit and we would play and we would talk freely. And there was no, it's funny because I didn't feel like they were looking at me and thinking, oh, he's a white kid. I didn't feel that. Now, if they were thinking that or not, I don't know, but they didn't make it apparent. Right. And that was, that was wonderful for me. I can't deny because of the things that I had heard growing up, some of the language that family might've used, some of the language that some other white friends may have used. And honestly, it, was, it wasn't just white people. It, I heard racist talk across the board from where I grew up. I just wanted to be able to be in a space where there was connection and a sense of safety. I didn't care where it came from. I didn't care who you were. I just wanted to know that there was a, a mutual sense of love and compassion present. That's what I cared about. So all of these thoughts about white privilege and what does that mean in this, in this society? What does that mean across the globe to be privileged as a white person? I'll be honest with you. This might be an area that some people might consider me naive in. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm naive in this. I would say my experiences have been pretty, pretty wide, pretty vast. But at the end of the day, what I would say is white privilege is it's more of a perception issue. I don't know if it's a realistic issue versus just a perception issue. But if for you, perception is straight reality, maybe, the, maybe then that's your reality. But then we get into the whole postmodernism, truth is relative, which is exactly where we actually are. So what do we hold as a universal truth? If we can't all agree that white privilege exists and there's a huge discrepancy over that issue, what do we do about it? How do we talk about it? bridging the gap to actually get to a real conversation where things could actually change? How do we get to a place where we can seek peace through loving means? How do we find a way to, to get back to a unity so that we're actually united and not just constantly pointing at each other's differences, saying, well, you're different than me. And I was told in history and I was, I was told by this group and this group, that you've oppressed my people and you're the reason that I am who I am today and why I can't make it up in society. If we start there, how are we going to not fight? I know I'm okay with a fight, but let's at least start talking about how do we fight fairly? How do we fight in a way that becomes constructive, productive, instead of destructive? How do we get to that place? And I think Chris and I here both have a very strong sense of what that looks like. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, mm -hmm. verses 12 to the end of that chapter. You may jump in that real quick. Please spit it. Yes, sir. Mm. So one body with many members, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would it be, where would it be? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Uh, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I think here, here's the key. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, mm. which our more presentable parts do not require. And so it, it goes on for a couple more verses, but like, like my brother alluded to, it's easy to get caught up in how we look, um, you know, how much money we have, you know, all the things that are on the outside. Mm. But our, our goal and our job is to com- connect on a deeper level, on a spiritual level, like soul to soul, to soul so to speak. Yeah. It's just one of those things that allows me to look at you as being different and say that that's not enough to separate. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really all it's about. There are so many things that are heaped upon our appearance that at the end of the day, in our heart of hearts, if we dig down deep, we'll realize it really doesn't mean as much as we're letting on to. But the issue that that God presents to us in Scripture is that we got to go deeper. We have to invest in people. And we we can't just stop at the shallow appearance. We have to understand that, you know, your experience may be very similar to mine, and we look totally different. We were raised totally different. But like you said to me, we look like twins. We are twins in Christ. <laughs> we are twins in Christ. <laughs> but the, the the beauty of that is, is that we can start to build up once we get past those things that are barriers, those things that are different. If we look at the absolute and say and see that we are children of God, now all of a sudden it's not an issue of your blackness or whiteness or any other colorness. It's an issue of since you're my brother or sister in Christ, I have to make sure if I'm eating, you're eating. Yes. If I'm taking care of, you have to be taken care of. If I'm warm, you have to be warm. Yes. And now I'm treating you like family. And I know that some people watching this are going to say, well, that's that that's that lofty stuff. That's that foo-foo stuff. That's that nonsense stuff. That's that watermelon stuff. Yeah, that nasty stuff. My <laughs> goodness. But... Whenever there has been progress in human history, it's when humans realize that they are more alike than they are different. A house divided cannot stand. 
No. You know, as scripture says. And so once we realize that we are united, now we can have conversations like this. And now race really loses its hold. I, I see that you're different, but yeah. what what does that mean to me? I care that you're a child of God. Yeah. And I'm a child of God. And we we family. And that's what matters. That's the common ground. You know, when we think about what united us from the beginning, it was it was our mutual relationship with Jesus. He literally brought us to himself. Mm-hmm. He brought us together so that we could realize, you know, real, no real spirit. Right. Spirit gives us a bond of peace together. And even though we have many differences, we look at each other and there's there's love. And that love, yo, no joke. Love does cover a multitude mm, of sins. My goodness. So like no matter how much I struggle or how many idiosyncrasies I have that Chris don't like and vice versa, it doesn't matter. Because when we when at the end of the day we're being honest, if we're being disciplined Christians, we're following after Jesus through prayer, fasting, uh communion, just just taking care of other people in the body and also just people in general, we realize very quickly all the other stuff is peripheral. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually just mere externalities, things outside of the center that don't really matter at all. They're, those things are passing away. But what we have in the Holy Spirit literally changes everything mm-hmm. to the point where we actually can have a peace that transcends both our understanding and yet we can both hold it. We can both experience it as long as we're gripping up with Christ. Right. Wow, dude. The, the the visual I just had is if we can't reconcile race on earth, how are we going to reconcile it in heaven forever? I mean... You got black heaven and white heaven. <laughs> yeah, man. Right, right next door to each other. Just oh, dog out. heaven's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things we have to get past. Now, I, I understand that a lot of you, or some of you at least, who are listening to this, maybe listening to this from a position of pain. Yeah. You might have been hurt from someone that didn't look different. Your experiences were different than ours. It you may not be able to sit next to someone that looks different like we are sitting next to each other. If that is the case, our invitation is to find out who you are. You know, that existential question, who are you yeah. at, at the core? And if you believe scripture as we do, you'll understand that no matter what you look like, no matter if you have a disability, no matter if you're broke or rich, no matter what you are, if you believe in Christ, you're a child of God. And that supersedes any other thing in the entire universe. If we can get to that point, as hard as it is, understanding that there are many obstacles to people coming to Christ and understanding that we're more similar than we are different. Mm -hmm. But if you can push through that, then you can find that joy. Amen. Then you can have hope. And you're looking at people as family, as the default, not as the enemy by default. And so our invitation is the same invitation that we extend to each of you yes. every single week. You know, try God. Try God. You know, look through scripture. Uh, the scripture we read was uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And just read a couple of those lines and make those verses your own and test them. 
You know, ask, ask God. Go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm having a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Prove it. And the thing about God that we both know is that when you ask God to prove it, God is going to show up. <laughs> so so be, be prepared for some type of revelation. It may not be like painted on a billboard or God's not going to call you on a cell phone, but he might. <laughs> he might. <laughs> hey, yo. This is Jay. <laughs> what up, baby? <laughs> How you been? Oh, you calling from heaven? Oh, okay. You want to you wanna pay phone? Oh, are you calling collect? Yo, I got to go. <laughs> you can't afford this call? Come on. But God is going to show up and God is going to have a conversation with you, whether it's through a person, whether it's through a book, whether it's directly to your, your soul and answer those questions. And when, when God speaks to you with that spirit language, you're going to be changed forever. For It tickles your DNA. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No gracious. joke. Like the word of God is living yeah. and active. It cuts to the dividing bone and marrow. and marrow. And I don't think they knew about DNA back then. So I would, I would venture to guess that the word of God can cut so deep. It literally goes into the essence of our being, mm-hmm. the way that our, the way that our whole being is structured. Deoxy ribonucleic acids. Wow, man. We've been in too many science classes. We're both nerdy. A little bit, a little bit. We're nerdy in our 30s. <laughs> nerdy 30s. <laughs> Dude, I'm, Is that I'm, a thing? I'm in my 40s, yo. Stop. Yeah, it happened. Oh, you're a filthy 40. A filthy 40, <sighs> man. Let's rock it. <laughs> well, I'm nerdy 30. <laughs> I Sorry, I forgot you were in your 40s. Yeah. What are you, 40? 41. One. Well, I can't, I can't like you because you're in your Shoot. 30s. We're divided again. I know. You're an old head. <laughs> Dude. You my young bull. Yo. Yeah. it. Stop. <laughs> Bro, I was feeling so connected to you. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm unsafe. My goodness. Last tangent. Yes. Let's rock it. I thought about this as Chris was talking. And I thought about what separates us from others to begin with. What Ooh. builds stereotypes? Wow. Wow. And I could say confidently. That the majority of stereotypes come out of some kind of traumatic experience mm-hmm. that people have had, and then that trauma informs their thinking and how they go and talk about it with others, propagating the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And the more people that end up having a similar situation and potentially traumatic issue uh, with another type of person, another a person of another race, um, a person from a different part of the country, a different part of the world the more likely that that stereotype is going to become more or less universal. Mm-hmm. So there's clear, there, there, it's just clear to me that there have been tons of traumatic instances, incidences, incidences, incidents, mm-hmm. where people have endured hardships from other people that aren't like them, don't look like them, behave differently. And what happens there, from what I can gather, is it promotes this divisive, separatist type of thinking. Like, all right, we are this way, you are that way, because there's been some damage in the middle, we don't want to work with you anymore because we're afraid you're Mm going to do it again. And it makes sense why people would start to feel this way about other. But there's this thing called xenophobia, Mm. where you're just afraid of anything that's different Different. than you. And honestly, I feel like we're there more than we're racist. I think we're just afraid of anything 
that is different than us because we haven't been, our tolerances have not been primed. They have not been prepped over the past couple generations. We haven't been exposed very well to the differences of one another outside of maybe the universities. Maybe if you go to a more diverse grade school, you experienced it there. Or let's say if you grew up in the hood and there was a there was a real uh, incredible group of people around you who mm-hmm. represented all different uh, cultures. Right. And if that happened, you had the opportunity to see for yourself how these things operate. But if you didn't, and maybe you were in a homogenous group, let's say it's all white for this case, and you endure, you encounter something with, let's say, let's just say a black person, and now you paint the entire group as this, as this problem in itself. They're all like that because this one person harmed me. I can't trust anybody that looks like this because I'm so afraid. I'm fearful now and I wanna generalize that fear because my body is screaming at me, stay away from anybody that looks like that or acts like that because you might get harmed horribly again. And I think this happens to so many people. And I think these are the things that truly influence the racist, the xenophobic type of stereotypes. And this is a huge issue at the heart level. This is why forgiveness is so essential. If you can't forgive, how can you move forward? If you can't work toward forgiveness through opening up dialogue, how can you move forward? There's no advancing without opening up dialogue and risking through vulnerability. You have to take a risk with people who are unlike you or who remind you of things that traumatized you from your past. If you're going to move forward, if you're going to become mildly or maybe even greatly desensitized to the fears that you've had so you can learn to overcome them and then bridge gaps with people who deep down you would love if you gave them a chance. I'm not talking about the psychopathic types Mm -hmm. who will just egregiously continue to do you harm. I'm not talking about those types of people. I'm talking about genuine people who, if given an opportunity, would try their best to reconcile with you. That's what I'm talking about. Yo, amen. Mm. Amen. I got got no rap after that word. Well, we're going to end this in prayer. And this is a prayer of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And Chris, if if you wouldn't mind opening... Actually, you know what, Chris? I want yeah, yeah, yeah. Open it up. Let's go. Let's Open go. It up. You you go jump in. I'm gonna tag you in. Yes, sir. All right, cool. Uh, good and gracious God, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to to come together. You know, beyond race, beyond economics, we understand that we are your children, and we thank you for the privilege of of being your children. And we just want to extend blessings not just to ourselves and our families, but to everyone listening right now. Uh, There is a great opportunity for each of us to receive healing, understanding that we are broken people. We've been broken by other people. We've been broken by situations. But you made it abundantly clear that if we can just come to you in prayer, come to you with humble and repentant hearts, that you can bring us healing. And so we just pray for healing from any pains that have been caused upon us in the past and in the present. And we pray that you provide us healing so that we can have a future together as you intended us to be a community together, a family together. And so we thank you for for being family. 
Uh, we pray that you remove any obstacles to um, any of us growing closer together um, into that family, that great family that you intended for us. And so we love you. We thank you for this moment. And we thank you for the many moments that will grow from this time. In Jesus' name, we lift this up in prayer. And Father, we are incredibly blessed to be in this position where we're able to talk to one another freely. Uh, we're able to worship and glorify you communally. Uh, we're able to look at one another's differences and realize that the one binding factor, the one thing that makes the most sense, the one that gives us the most purpose together is you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Father, help us to continue to be the light to this world. Help us to be the salt of the earth. Uh, Father, help us to continue to bridge gaps between people who have been hurt by one another. Uh, help us to be hope uh, to people who feel hopeless in trying to repair relationships that have been damaged severely. Uh, Father, I pray for the whole idea of race relations. I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would stop looking at it like that, that more people would come to you, Jesus. More people would be united in you. Uh, that, that's our heart. Mm -hmm. We know the world's going to be the world. We know everybody's going to do what they're going to do um, outside of you, Jesus. But Lord, for those who are able to hear, who are willing to submit to you, to do it your way, Lord, uh, Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring healing to their hearts, minds, and souls uh, so that they can reconcile with their brothers, so that they can build relationships, uh, so that they can find peace in you, and so that they can build a community that represents you, Jesus, at the highest levels. Father, we lift this up to you. We praise your holy name, and we thank you so much for all you're, you're doing, all you've done, Lord, and all that you'll continue to do. Bless your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, yo, again, this was special episode number five. I'm white. He's black. And this was Internal Explosion, the podcast. Benny J signing off. And yo, the melanated maverick saying peace, y'all. Yeah.